This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Second Kings chapter 4, uh, continuing our series entitled Crazy Faith. And if you've been here and you remember, you know that we're studying the life of a man named Elisha who had crazy faith and crazy in a good sort of way, crazy faith to perform more recorded miracles than anyone else in the Bible with the exception of Jesus Christ. And you know, what I love about Elisha's miracles is that many of them were non-traditional. And, and I know we've got some people that like traditional. I, I happen to like non-traditional. And, um, for example, some of his miracles involved healing nasty water. And it wasn't just nasty to drink. Nothing would grow in the area, in the community. And people were dying because of the water. And so Elisha healed the water and caused the land to be productive again. Uh, and then, of course, one of the strangest miracles was when uh, some young people made fun of Elisha's bald head. And uh, remember what happened? Some bears came out and took care of 42 young people. And, and that led us to say that, remember that a bear is just a prayer away. So uh, keep that in mind. And then um, next week, we're going to look at another very, very strange miracle where an axe head floats in the water. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, we're, we're headed to Colorado this Wednesday. We're going to be gone Wednesday through Saturday, and we're going to be doing a mountain climb, so make sure you pray for us. Um, but I've been trying to do some preparatory work ahead of time because I've got a short week, and uh, I've, I've been so moved by this lesson uh, because I believe that some of us here have lost our spiritual edge. We need to get it back. And uh, so we're going to be studying that next week, Lord willing. First week we burned plows. Last week we dug ditches. Next week we're going to sharpen axes. But meanwhile, back at the ranch today, we're going to collect some jars. 
And I believe this lesson from God's Word will speak to everyone, not because I'm preaching it, but this is in, in the Bible, in God's Word. And uh, so, so I believe it will be of uh, encouragement, but especially I believe this will be of encouragement to those of you who are maybe feeling overwhelmed. Anybody feel overwhelmed? Maybe you feel you don't have enough energy. Maybe you feel you don't have enough time. Maybe you feel you don't have enough money. Or maybe you feel you don't have enough faith. Or, or maybe you fit into the one of these following categories. And, and I was just kind of sorting through the last 20 years as, as pastor of this church. And, and, and there are four typical scenarios of, uh, of people, uh, my counseling load over the past 20 years. And maybe you can relate. The first scenario is one of financial desperation. You cannot believe how many people in this community are desperate financially. Now, for some of them, it's been brought about by their own doing. They spent, they, they've acted unwisely, they've chosen lifestyles that have kept them constantly broke. And, and so they're suffering the consequences that they have brought upon themselves. But, but for others, it's not their fault. They've been victims of layoffs or health issues, reverses in life out of their control. But the bottom line is financial desperation. The second scenario that, that summarizes a good part of my counseling load is one where people find themselves locked in addictions. Sometimes it's an addiction to lust and pornography. Other times it's, it's an addiction to alcohol or, or tobacco or more and more the addiction that seems to enslave a lot of people is the addiction to prescription medication. And very rarely do people ever admit this publicly uh, uh, very rarely do they feel it's a problem because it, it begins so innocently. People try to deal with pain, maybe chronic pain, but it develops into an addiction that, that grabs even very successful and respected citizens of this community. And tragically, this type of addiction has become an epidemic in our society. The third common scenario that I deal with comes about when people or their loved ones find out that they have an incurable disease such as Alzheimer's or cancer. And that happened here with a family in this church just a few days ago. And, and, and when this happens, many of these people die emotionally long before they die physically. And they have to deal with surgeries, chemo, radiation. And, and life is a roller coaster ride as they, as, as they go to the doctor one time and, and, and they are just ecstatic because they get a good report. But then the next time they're devastated as the doctor says, I'm sorry, it's spread. And then the fourth scenario, and this one just rips out my heart. It's the matter of divorce. Now, several times per year, we have couples in our church or in our circle of friends or family. They make the decision to pull the plug on their marriage. And the kids become pawns as many times both mom and dad try to convince the kid that the other parent is the bad parent. And even though kids are incredibly resilient, yet many times this leaves a scar in their lives that never completely heals. But regardless of your situation, whether it's one of those that I mentioned or something totally different, if, if you find yourself in despair, if you find yourself overwhelmed, if you, if you find yourself on empty, it's my prayer that God would use this lesson to minister to you in a deep and life-changing way. Let's just bow our heads one more time and pray. Father, I just ask that you would do something today that I can't do. 
Lord, I've tried to prepare my heart. I've tried to prepare my subject. Lord, I need you. I just pray that you would anoint me as I as I try to speak your word, that your word would meet us at our point of need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dive into our text. We're going to read two verses just to get the setting, and then we'll try to unpack several more verses before we go home. Here's how the story begins in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It reads like this from the NIV. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said except a little oil. Now, there are a lot of things we don't know about this lady. The first being that we don't know her name. Now, according to Jewish tradition, some believe that she could have been the wife of the prophet Obadiah. And you can read about Obadiah several chapters earlier. But if it is true that that she was Obadiah's widow, then it would make some sense that she was in financial need, as our passage indicated, because... When Jezebel, if you read about Jezebel, she took up the hobby of killing prophets. And she did this right and left. And so when she began to do that, then Obadiah the prophet took it upon himself to try to shelter and protect the prophets of the Lord. In fact, you can read in 1 Kings 18 where he took a hundred prophets, a hundred preachers, and hid them in two separate caves and supplied them with food and water. Which, as you can imagine, feeding a hundred preachers would have probably gotten expensive. And taken most, if not all, of of their resources. But regardless of whether or not this was the widow of the late prophet Obadiah, we do know that she had been married to a man of God. Something else we don't know about her is her age. Now, we just assume because she had two boys still living at home with her, so we don't know this, but we just assume that she might have been in her 30s and 40s. Now, to what we do know, Scripture is clear that, that she was deeply in debt. And as a woman in that culture, without a husband, she had little to no chance of securing meaningful employment because in this culture, women were basically unemployable unless they chose to take on a job of ill repute, which would have been prostitution. She had chosen not to do that. We also know about this woman that that because of her debt, Her creditor was coming after her two sons. You say, why was that happening? Well, the law said that if you couldn't pay your debts, then they could take your sons as slaves. And they would be slaves until the debt was completely repaid or until the year of Jubilee, which did not offer too much comfort because the year of Jubilee only rolled around once every 50 years. So as you look at her her situation I think we would all agree this morning that that she was facing some major, major obstacles, some major, major problems. Now, on the lighter side, let me just give us a quick reality check. Most of us here today think we have a lot of problems. And I realize a few people in this church really do. But honestly, the problems that most of us face are not major problems. For example, what are some of the problems that get us riled up and stirred up and and stressed out. How about this? 
someone pokes along in front of you on the way to Collins. And you get so frustrated and irritated because you can't pass. There's only one place where you can pass. And so you have to go five miles under the speed limit all the way to Collins. Does that bother any of you? Just be honest here. We're in the house of the Lord. Don't lie. Um, just for your record, just for the record, that is an entry-level problem. Entry-level problem. Or how about the problem of getting in the slow checkout line at Walmart? Does that bother anybody here? Entry-level problem. Uh, how about Taco Bell putting onions on your burrito when you told them not to? Entry-level problem. Even though you told them off in a not-so-kind way. Or you order food at a sit-down restaurant and it takes them forever. And, and again, because I found many of God's people turn into impatient, picky, unkind, self-centered, wild animals when it comes to food at restaurants. We let them know we're not pleased with the service. We're unhappy. And we tell them about it. Entry-level problem. Or how about this? Your phone dies on you in the middle of the afternoon. You don't know how you can function the rest of the day. Entry-level problem. Or how about this one? The pastor preaches a long sermon that's boring. And he goes into overtime. Entry-level problem. It may not seem like it, but entry-level problem. Or how about this one? This really gets some of you going. The temperature here at the church is not perfect for you. And I found that on the same day, it'll be too hot for some and too cold for others. The truth is that there are some people that have about a half a degree comfort zone when it comes to temperature. And I've heard comments, well, it's so cold you could hang meat in here. I'm going to start bringing my blanket to church. Or I've heard the hot jokes. It's so hot that and you fill in the blank and... And, 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 you know, I try to be a good boy here. And you pray for me, okay? You all pray for me. But I don't have a lot of sympathy when someone comes to me complaining about the temperature being a degree off. And here's the reason, because I've worshipped with people in other countries where we had to wear heavy, heavy coats in church because you could see your breath and, and you could hang meat in there. And then I've been in other places where we were drenched with sweat within 30 minutes of having into the church. All of this without a complaint. So, you know, if the temperature is half a degree off of our comfort zone, I, I'm really sorry. Entry-level problem. Okay? And, and we do our best to try to make everybody comfortable. Americans are spoiled. They like their comfort. But this is an entry-level problem. Before I began meddling, did I get my point across? Most of the problems that rile us up are entry-level problems. Now, in fairness, I do want to say that there are some of you that have problems that go way beyond entry level. And, and we, we have graduate level problems. And maybe your marriage is barely hanging by a thread. That's not an entry level problem. Maybe you have a child that's going down the wrong road. And, and you know that if they keep going down that road, they're going to end up in a world of hurt. And, and you ha your hands are tied. You can't say anything. You can't do anything about it. That's not entry level. That's major. 
You know, for others of you, it may be a health issue and you went to the doctor and if there's not a miracle from God, it doesn't look good. You've got a graduate level problem. Well, today I want to talk to us, not about our entry level problems. You know, if you got onions on your burrito, I'm sorry, whoop-de-doo. You know, if you had to wait too long for your food, I'm so sorry. But, But I want to talk to those that have significant need. And so let me quickly give you the key thought that will kind of guide our our message today here it is when you don't have what you really want you will discover that god is what you really need let let me say this again because this is very important when you don't have what you really want you will discover that our good god is what you really need let's unpack this story This poor woman opens up to Elisha and tells him that she has lost her husband and is is about to lose her two sons. What does Elisha do? Actually, let me first of all tell you what he didn't do. What he didn't do was say, oh man, that's a bad problem. Stinks to be you. Bummer. I'll be thinking about you. And, and by the way, since I'm just out of control here this morning, it, it drives me crazy when people say, I'll be thinking of you. You know, if I'm hurting, if I've got cancer, if I've lost a loved one, I don't need you to think about me. I need you to pray for me. I mean, don't be new age and just think about me and send positive vibes my way. You, you know, pray for me. Do something that really makes a difference. And so Elisha doesn't say, oh, bummer. I'll be thinking about you. Roger, rather, Elisha makes himself available to her. And you see this in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2 that we read. Elisha says five words. He says, how can I help you? You know, I have a friend in this church, and um, almost every week, he will text me during the week, and he will say, can I do anything for you? And honestly, you don't know what that does for me, because... That shows that he cares enough. If we want to make a difference in in someone's life, you know, a good way to start is by saying, how can I help you? In fact, if you want to make a difference in the world, start every day, say, God, I'm available as your representative. And if there's a need, even if I can't meet that need directly, I want to be a conduit to at least be an encouragement to that person. Which means when someone at the office says, I've got a migraine headache, or my kid is going off the deep end, or my car broke down again, or I'm really stressed or whatever, let's not just say, well, I'm thinking about you. Rather, let's say, how can I help you? What can I do to help carry this load? Let's make ourselves available just like Elisha did. Well, then Elisha says something that's very interesting. He respects her dignity, and he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? In other words, he doesn't start off and dominate the conversation and, and give advice right and left like guys do. You know, we are, we go into the fix-it mode. You know, we're going to fix it. That, that's, that's what guys do, supposedly. But Elisha respects her dignity and says, um, what, what do you have in your house? Well, the lady replies, your servant has nothing at all. You know, it's interesting that that when we're hurting, all we can see is what we don't have. 
And because of that, we miss out on all the blessings that we do have. You know, the mentality of, well, I don't have enough money, so I cannot be happy. Or I don't have a spouse, so I can't have a meaningful life. Or I do have a spouse, and so I'm enslaved or whatever. Or my house isn't nice enough, so we can't have anybody over as if... One of the biblical requirements for us to have get-together for fellowship, uh, get-togethers for fellowship in our homes is that our house has to have granite countertops. I don't think so. And then I've heard some of the ladies, and, and nobody in this church, but at some of the churches down the road, I've heard that ladies walk into their closets, and they look at their clothes, and what do they say? I don't have anything to wear. And, of course, some of them could clothe an entire African village, but yet they say, I've got nothing to wear. They're focused on what they don't have. And, and that's exactly where this poor woman was. What do you have? Your servant has nothing. Well, that leads us to our first point. When you don't have everything you want, you must stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. And I know that statement wasn't on the level of being a grand slam, but it was a solid single. And I got one amen. And by the way, if you want me to preach better, pray for me and say amens, okay? That, that'll help me out. Uh, but Elisha in, in 2 Kings 4, 2 says, what do you have in your house? And, and she says, your servant has nothing. And, and then it's as if she thinks, well, that's not totally true. She qualifies it and says, well, I, I do have a small jar of olive oil. But that's it. Just a small jar of olive oil. Now, what good is a small jar of olive oil? Well, back in those days, olive oil had many important uses. Olive oil was used in cooking. It was also used as fuel in lamps. It was used as moisturizer because you couldn't go to Bath and Body Works and get some of that smelly stuff to squirt on your hands and face. Olive oil was used to help uh, keep leather pliable. It was used to keep iron from rusting. Spiritually, it was used as an offering to God. It was used to anoint people in religious services. And, and so olive oil had many different practical uses. And she didn't have much, but she did have a little bit. Which leads me to say that I'm thankful that God specializes in doing a lot with a little. All through Scripture, you, you see it again and again. And in the New Testament, after Jesus had, had preached to thousands of people and everyone was hungry, he must have gone into overtime as well. And, and the disciples said, who's going to feed all these thousands of people? And, and they looked for food. There was no food except one little boy. He had five loaves and a couple of fish. But remember how in the hands of Jesus, a little became a lot. And they fed the thousands and had 12 basketfuls left over. Why? Because... God can do a lot with a little. And in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories, when the whole army was afraid of the Philistines because of a man named Goliath, and guess who God used? A little shepherd boy who had a little bit of faith and a few little rocks. And David happened to stroll by when Goliath was showing irreverence to God. And, and little David couldn't take it. And, and he couldn't take it that Goliath was being so disrespectful of God and His people. Let me just say a couple of things here. I, I know God doesn't need us to defend Him. You know, God can take care of Himself. But I wonder if sometimes we become too passive when someone is irreverent to God. 
You know, we've rightly so tried to get away from being, you know, those Bible-thumping and judgmental, in-your-face type of Christians. We really don't need that. But it almost seems that we've gone too far the other way. And maybe it is to try to shed the image of being holier than thou, or, you know, we try to be politically or religiously correct. But but, but what happens now is, is it seems that we just stand by quietly as people say things and do things that break and, and grieve the heart of God and go against God's Word. And, and it seems as if some Christians never stand up for principles anymore. We never stand up against those things that might be offensive against God. And, and, and David, we see, he was flat out offended. He was, he was bothered that Goliath was so disrespectful of God and his people and he couldn't take it. And he, and he said, Goliath, you're disrespecting my God, Jehovah. And, and, and no, David wasn't politically correct. And no, he wasn't religiously correct. And, and he didn't say, well, it doesn't matter what your religion is. You know, we all serve the same God and we just need to all get along with each other. No, David said, who are you to defy God? And Goliath, everyone thinks you're too big to beat, but I think you're too big to miss. And buddy, you're going down big time in the name of the Lord. And God used that little boy with a little faith, with a little slingshot and a little stone, and he took down a big, big giant. And for those of you that say, well, well, I don't have much to offer. We serve a God who can do a lot with a little. What does the Bible say? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea. So Elisha says, what do you have in your house? But by the way, it's almost similar. Remember when God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? What was it? A rod. And through that rod, God used that rod and performed many miracles. But, but lady, what's in your house? And I don't know how this will speak to you, but there may be a dad in here. I pray that you'll listen to me. Maybe a dad in here who says, Man, I'm not a very good provider for my family. I work hard, but I don't make a lot of money, and I wish I made more so I could afford more to buy my family more things. And maybe God is saying this to you. You may not make a ton of money, But you're home seven nights a week with your children. And men, if you don't realize it, that makes you rich. That's so much better than making a lot of money and being away from them, missing their birthdays, their ball games. Missing being able to cuddle with them, put them to bed at night. I don't know if you realize, but men... The most important thing is not necessarily what you bring home materially, but it's the legacy that you will leave with your family. What kind of legacy will you leave? Will you leave riches, things, stuff that will rust and decay and fade away? Or will you leave godliness, integrity, character? And those are things that you can't do from a long distance. Only those are things that you can impress upon your children as you're with them. You say, well, I don't make enough money to make my wife happy and I can't buy her a new car and new clothes and all that. Listen, men, lay down your life and serve her, your wife. 
And you will not need material things to see your wife be the happiest married woman in town. She wants you, what you have to offer, not what you can bring in toys and stuff, money. The second thought that we learn from this amazing story is we must offer God what you have. Trust Him to give you what you need. And watch this come true. Let's, let, let's read a few more verses here. Verse 3, 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Catch that, empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. What do you think is going to happen here? Pour oil into all the jars. Remember, she's had a little bit. Pour oil into all the jars. Where's that oil going to come from? And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. (laughs) When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Do you realize that when she offered what little she had, God gave her everything she needed. And as long as there was an empty jar, this, this right here is so key. The size, the shape, the color of the jar didn't matter. Did you catch that? The size, the shape, the color didn't matter. The only requirement of the jar was that it had to be empty. How does this apply to us? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That, that, that's what we are. We're jars of clay. We're, we're nothing more than clay pots. We're nothing more than dirt houses. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And what is God looking for in us? God, God is looking, and I pray God would help us to catch this. God is looking for just a few empty jars. Because when we empty ourselves of self, when we empty ourselves of pride, when we empty ourselves of greed, when we empty ourselves of addictions, when we empty ourselves of agendas and come to God totally empty, that's when He can fill us. And of course, oil has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when God begins to fill you with His precious Spirit, that's when you begin to realize that He is enough. He is truly enough. You see, when you're weak, He's your strength. When you're hurting, He's your comfort. When you're lost, He's your guide. When you're hungry, He's the bread of life. When you're thirsty, He's the living water. When your life is unstable, He's the rock that does not move. When you realize, I do not have what I want, then suddenly you discover He is exactly what you need. You know, when I was preparing this message, I began thinking about my ministry. And again, it's not about me. It's all about Him. But when God called me to preach... I told you, giving you my testimony, I was going into the medical field and taking preparatory classes for that. But 
God called me into the ministry, but when he did that, I was far from even being good enough to be considered a poor preacher. I mean, I was worse than a poor preacher, and, 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 and you think I'm bad now. You better be thankful I'm your pastor now instead of 30 years ago. And, and, and just kind of opening my heart to you, some people are gifted with sermon preparation, and, and, and it comes easy, but it never has for me. I fight all week long, and I beg, and I plead God for His help because I just don't have it in me. But, but early on, and when I was a young person in ministry preparing for a message, I worked, and I sweated, and I, I prayed, and, and I dug, and, and I digged, and I did everything I knew to do, and After blood, sweat, and tears, I'd get up there and preach and pretty much run out of soap within 15 minutes. And I know some of you wish I were still there, but, but I mean, in those 15 to 20 minutes, I, I, I could cover the entire Bible. I'm serious. I could start in the book of Revelation and, or uh, book of Genesis, go clear to Revelation and then, and, and cover every, every possible subject in the entire Bible and zigzag back and forth and repeat myself and still run out of juice and let people out early. And, uh, And, you know, after I preached, I, I would feel relieved for about 10 minutes until I remembered that I had to preach again next Sunday. And I'd panic because I basically covered the entire Bible in my last message. And I didn't know if there was anything else I could preach. And, of course, I'm exaggerating here just a little bit. But as you begin your ministry, you, you wonder, will there be enough material in the Bible to preach from in the future without just repeating your messages over and over and over again? And, and yes, we preachers do repeat ourselves just as you repeat the same jokes and And the same stories, and we sing the same songs, but, but I found something so wonderful. If you will keep pouring out what God gives you, He will keep filling you up. You know, I, I, I did some figuring the other day, and I think I've now preached close to 4,000 sermons in this church. And I still struggle. But as I pour out what God gives me, He fills up my vessel again. There is an oil well in Jesus Christ that never runs dry. And I've been so blessed during this series, even though I've gone through the Bible many, many times, and as I've been studying again, God is teaching me new things. And sometimes early morning, when God just gives me a moment of inspiration, it's just like I've never seen that before. There's an oil well in Jesus Christ that never runs dry. And if I live long enough to preach 40,000 sermons, like I believe it was John Wesley did, I've done 4,000 in this church. He preached 40,000. If I live long enough to do that, I have no doubt that God will keep filling me with His divine oil. And so today, if you're running on empty, remember, remember what empty means. It means you're a candidate to be filled. But until you've emptied yourself completely of you, then God can't do much with us. There have been several of us that have been praying for revival. And frankly, sometimes I'm one that gets discouraged. It seems like nothing ever happens. And I shouldn't say nothing ever happens, but it's, I'd like for it to be now and now and now. As I was praying and preparing over this lesson this week, I just began to wonder, would it be that revival hasn't come and because maybe those of us that are praying haven't emptied ourselves yet? And God cannot fill us 
until we're emptied of everything. Again, that was the requirement for those vessels. The, the color, the size, the shape didn't matter, but it had to be empty. And then they could be filled. I wonder if uh, some of us need to be emptied of our pride and our lust and our anger and our attitudes and our addictions and our legalism. You know, when I, uh, when I look at kind of, kind of the global view of a study for each week, I, I think, okay, what do I want God to do in my heart this next week? And same for you. And, but if there's something that I would love to see God do in my heart this week and in your heart, it's for all of us to just empty ourselves. Why do we need to be empty? Because that's when He can come and fill us with His Holy Spirit. That's what we need. You know, it's not how high you jump when you come to know the Lord, and it's not how hard you fall. But you want to know the true test of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, does He have the fruit of the Spirit? And you know, when we empty ourselves, then Christ can fill us. And what does He give us? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Anybody need more patience? Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness as opposed to harshness. And even self-control. That's, that's what happens when we become empty so we can be, be filled. And this morning as we, as we wrap this up, wouldn't it be amazing if we would just say, God, today is the day I'm going to empty myself of everything. That way you can fill me with your precious spirit. And you know, when we're filled, that's when things happen. That's when revival breaks out. That's when miracles can take place. That's when lost people come to know Jesus Christ, when they see there's something wonderfully different about us, that we're not just the same old, same old. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I don't, you know, I don't feel a strong leading to just you know, have an extended altar call, but maybe there's somebody here that you'd like to come forward and just say, this is the time. I'm going to empty myself. This doesn't mean you're a bad sinner. It just means that God has spoken to you. And if there's anybody that wants to come forward and pray and say, God, I want to be emptied so I can be filled. You're free to come. Let's just surrender right now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this amazing lesson that you put in your word. Lord, forgive us for those times that we've tried to do it ourselves. and Those times when 
we've been so full of ourselves. Lord, we truly want to empty ourselves. I pray that this would be the week that we would just maybe get alone with you and say, God, this is what's in me. I don't like what's here. I've got this and this and this. I've got lust. I've got addictions. And I don't have very much Jesus in my life. Lord, I know we've said less of us, more of you, but Father, really, it needs to be none of us and all of you. That's what our prayer should be. God, I pray that you would empty us so that we could experience the fullness. Lord, we don't want to be partial Christians. We don't want to be carnal Christians. But God, we want to be people that are a wonderful reflection of Jesus. Lord, for those that have come forward this morning, maybe others that are praying right now, those that have needs, I ask that you would just be faithful to do a work in their hearts. God, we don't want to leave here the same. We want to be changed. We pray this in your name. Before we go, maybe there's some others that you want to come forward. Now, don't be too prideful. This is one thing that we need to empty ourselves of is pride. And I don't want to take away anything that you have in your heart. But if you aren't everything that you want to be, and I think that probably takes in everything. We're not everything that God wants us to be. If you want to come forward, again, Lord, we thank you for your presence, your goodness. We pray these favors. In the strong, loving, wonderful name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. You know, we've got people praying up here at the altar. Um, I, I would ask you not to be talking here in, in, in the sanctuary. Let's give these a chance to uh, to pray. And if others of you would like to come and, and help them pray, that would be, you would be welcome to come. Thank you. We'll see you this evening. We have a surprise for you this evening, so make sure you come back. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.